What I love about the job actually is that it's quite stretchy. You never quite know what you'll be doing in a week. Hello and welcome to The Common Room, a series of conversations between members of the Yale English Department. I'm Derek Green. Today I'm speaking with Steph Newell, Professor of English. She's written many books and articles on the cultural histories of printing and reading in West Africa and the spaces for local creativity and subversive resistance in colonial era newspapers. Her most recent book, Histories of Dirt in West Africa, Media and Urban Life in Colonial and Postcolonial Lagos, was published by Duke University Press in 2020. Hi, Steph. Could you tell us about your background? Well, I actually started out wanting to be a creative writer and a journalist. When I had a gap year, which was before I went to university, I went traveling in Africa. I went traveling for about six months overland. I didn't stay in any hotels. I was with a group of people. We had tents. And when we got into um, Ghana, I remember we'd set up our tents and all through the night, I'd be hearing this clackety, 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 clack, this sound. And I, I wondered what it was. And I remember finally going to find out what this noise was. And it turned out the noise was printing presses. So this is where it becomes relevant. It was printing presses. And literally all the way through Ghana, all the way through West Africa, you know, came into Nigeria every single night, all through the night, no matter how small the town was, there'd be this clacking of these old platen printing presses. This was in the late 1980s. And I got interested. I was what what are they producing? Like, what are these? I'd heard of Chinua Achebe and some of the bigger names, and Gugi Wathiongo and big name African authors. But so I went off to find what was being printed. And that was where it all started, really. That's how I came into where I am now, which is I teach African literature. I work on the Council on African Studies at Yale. My PhD students that I supervise are all African Studies students. And it was actually that gap year, you know, hearing the, the sound of the printing presses and all the things that were being produced. There were like pamphlets, marriage guidance pamphlets, novels, how-to books, relationship advice, you know, all kinds of wonderful local print cultures from the late 1980s. And that's what I went on to do my PhD on. Ten years later, I then went back to West Africa and started collecting all these local publications and wrote my PhD on that material. Nobody would really studied it before because um, people thought it was poor quality or they just sort of thought. I remember one anthropologist who will remain nameless saying to me one time, um, Oh, yes, I thought I'd write a little article about that stuff. It's so delightful and quaint. And it was really patronising. And I wrote my whole PhD on that stuff and have been studying it ever since. How did you go from that, those travels in Africa, to Yale? I'd been at the University of Sussex in the UK for about 10 years, 11 years. And I got an email out of the blue from the head of the English department at Yale inviting me through for a job talk. And I thought, well, yeah, I'll, I'll go through and no chance I'll get that. So I went and gave my job talk. And the rest is history, really. I mean, basically, when I saw how African studies was expanding at Yale, I was just so excited by that, that I literally dropped everything in the UK and came over to Yale. It was the first time in my career that I had the opportunity to teach exclusively within my specialism. That's what I loved about Yale. So, so I was in my element. I was teaching African literature courses and African urban studies and sociology of African urban, you know, just and then going to all the workshops and the seminars up at the Council on African Studies at the Macmillan Centre. And there was a point where I remember saying to a colleague one time, I don't think we do anything apart from African studies at Yale because it was so um, I was so immersed in it. 
Well, that's fascinating. And, you know, you mentioned that you started out wanting to be a creative writer. And I was lucky enough to attend a reading, Zoom reading, with you and the fiction writer, Cass Phillips. And you read just an utterly dramatic excerpt from your research. I wonder if you would talk a little bit about these voices that you encountered and the context of that reading. And that you certainly, um, you fit in with the creative writers. <laughs> it's a way that now is not so mysterious. Yes, I mean, that's thanks for, for saying that. That all came out of my last project, which was called The Cultural Politics of Dirt in Africa. That was the project's topic. And then the, the book that I wrote was called Histories of Dirt. And it really involved a lot of archival research, colonial archival research. But for me, the most important section of that project was talking to Lagosians, residents of Lagos, all the way through to children, you know. And we ran a lot of interviews in Lagos about people's perceptions of the urban environment. And with the children we spoke to, we were talking to them about, you know, what did they think of was dirty? And the reading that you're referring to, a lot of those transcripts do read like the most incredible kind of slices of life almost like creative writing you know every we, we had over 120 interviews and basically I'm going back through those transcripts and and seeing like the incredible kind of creativity and intensity and the, the incredible voices of those interviewees. I remember Marion right was that the pseudonym of the wonderful child that you had uh, that's just... right she was yeah she was a nine-year-old child and she she transformed the entire project because when we spoke to her it became clear that all of our questions especially to the children were very much sort of empirical questions about what do you think is dirty and doesn't do, you know showing people pictures of urban environments and saying you know describe that and Miriam she transformed it because she started to describe what she imagined she was processing ordinary urban events through her imagination in the most incredible way and she was using the space of the interview to project all kinds of absolutely incredible literally incredible ideas about her home her family and you know and, and that made us realize that we had to take into account the role of the imagination in thinking about the urban environment so this nine-year-old girl taught our whole team that your receptiveness to the almost the inherent drama of what you were studying makes me wonder, what are your literary influences? What writers and what music and what art inspired you or do you draw from? At the moment, I'm absolutely immersed in South African literature, music, art. And it might be because of just recently teaching a course in South African literature. But there's some incredible writers. There's Kaysel Adrika a South African author has written a novel called 13 Cents. It combines a very realistic portrait of Cape Town with these almost science fiction scenes and they're visionary and they're hallucinogenic and they're powerful and they're narrated from the point of view of a 13-year-old boy who's traumatised and you wonder if the trauma is creating the hallucinations or if the hallucinations are rescuing him from the trauma and, it, you know, just... These are all post-apartheid writers. There's another South African who, whose work I absolutely adore, and that's Zanele Muholi. Muholi means leader, and Zanele, I'm the last born at home. I think they describe themselves as visual activists, so very much like a photographer, queer activist. And Muholi's artwork really does challenge you as a viewer to sort of reimagine how you think about African bodies and also queer bodies and, and sort of displacing those bodies from race and gender identity and apartheid histories. So in my work, I'm pushing a political agenda. And that's not to mention the music.
of which there is much wonderful music, especially kind of street music. Thanks, Steph. And thanks for listening to The Common Room. Our producer is Robert Scaramuccia, class of 19, and our music is by Blue Dot Sessions. The song you're hearing right now is K-Star by Focalistic and V-Group Deep. Oh, 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 oh.